Hello everyone, and welcome to Downsizing, the podcast where we try and figure out when the office actually ended, because everyone would have been fired. My name is Curtis, and I'll be your host, and with me is my co-host and resident office expert, Antoinette. Hi everyone, and I'm sure Curtis was going to address this, but apologies for a long hiatus from us. We still are committed to doing this show, but I'll give you a couple things that have been real impediments uh, to us from continuing to do it. Namely, we have a lovely son who doesn't nap very well. Now, he will take naps, but he tops out at about 30 minutes, which if you've ever seen an episode of The Office, that's how long the episode is. I would say that that is like the third thing on the list that kept us from doing this. For sure. From the last couple weeks. Yes. I would say impediment number one was the holidays being on the weekend. Yes. So we went through Christmas, which was a Saturday. And so like the next day, we are like exhausted from the previous two days being family days so we like we generally record on Sundays and we just weren't in the mood to do it the Sunday after Christmas and then the Sunday after New Year's because we were hanging out with people until midnight on New Year's huge mistake with a child under one we made it though yeah and then I would say uh, okay, I'll reverse the these two things. That was that's reason number two. Reason number one is that Owen is fighting his way through the winter colds, and so he is just in a cycle of getting a cold, which leads to an ear infection, and then he'll get better from both, and then he'll get another cold, and he get another ear infection, and so we had him out of daycare for two weeks. Um, kind of between it was basically the week of Christmas and the week of New Year's he was not in daycare at all and so that kind of limited our time uh, to be able to do this because he doesn't nap sure I mean we put him on podcasts before like we can he we can watch an episode while he naps and then record an episode while he is just hanging out and you'll hear him babbling in the background of the episode but he is currently at daycare and we have the day off so we are doing this now yes and i will just say and curtis has heard me say this multiple times now but the second circle of hell is just giving babies medicine that's just all it is it's the worst it is very difficult especially depending on the taste and as they get bigger and stronger, it gets harder. So maybe you progress through hell doing it. I'm not sure. Haven't haven't gotten there fully yet. But um, this has been a really tough winter. To his credit, he does really well with medicine, except for one thing that we gave him that he absolutely hated. Everything else, he generally likes it once he figures out what we're trying to do yeah totally fine with grape tylenol does not like any of the antibiotics for his ear infections so we are back hopefully we won't take another like month-long hiatus 
I'm sure we will still have our occasional week or two where we aren't able to get around to doing this, but we, as Antoinette said, are fully committed to finishing this out and seeing it to the end. So today we will be discussing Season 6, Episode 25, The Chump. In this episode, Jim and Pam are tired, Angela and Dwight have a contract dispute, and Andy and Michael go watch a baseball game. The cold open of this episode is Toby talking to everybody in the conference room about these little radon test kits that he is putting throughout the office. And he's basically just giving people a heads up like, hey, these are what these things are. Don't throw them away. They're very important. And as usual, if Toby is involved, Michael's being a jerk about it. And then this meeting just spirals out of control. Yeah, Michael just is being very, very childish about this. Toby correctly says that Radon can be the silent but deadly killer, so that leads Michael to make fart jokes. He has been disdainful of these Radon test kits and just throws them away when he sees them. And then he says that what they're really going to die from is boredom because this meeting is so boring. Then further says the statement, and this is sometimes a meme I think on the internet uh, that if he was in a room with Toby Hitler and Osama bin Laden and he had a gun with two bullets he would shoot Toby twice which is just an awful thing to say and so while the employees at large enjoyed Michael's we are going to die from boredom before radon poisoning joke they really thought that Michael's Hitler, Bin Laden, and Toby joke went a little too far. And so Michael tries to correct himself and say, okay, I would shoot Bin Laden and then Toby. And people still aren't having it. And Michael's like, okay, so what's the solution? And this is where the, the, the meeting really loses, just goes off the rails. My favorite part of it is, so Ryan asks, is there a curtain rod in the room? And Michael's like, well, I don't know. Stanley jumps in, just super annoyed, saying, in Make Me Leave Bland, you can have anything you want. Jim immediately goes, Stanley, this is serious, and then laughs at the camera. Because people are taking it super seriously, and then Dwight jumps in here, and this is where, yeah, it just has fully gone off the rails and always now, and he says, no, you only need one bullet. You'd line them all up, and he'd shoot them through the throat, and he brings people up to play bin laden and hitler and he has toby play toby and uh pantomimes how this whole thing would work something that i've always kind of wondered and it's in like historical like so in a world war ii movie um if your agent calls you up and like hey got this movie part somebody they really want you to play hitler like, what is your, what's your reaction to that? It's like, mm, do I want to play quite possibly the most hated man in history? Like, it can't be like a knee jerk, like, yep, sign me up for that. I'm honestly trying to think of a movie that I've seen besides Jojo Rabbit, which I think is, does Hitler like really well. <laughs> they handled it very, very well, yeah. 
and the director plays Hitler in that movie where they've depicted now I've not seen Inglorious Bastards I think Hitler's depicted in that one um, now if you've watched The Man in the High Castle which is a TV show based on a book Hitler is in that show um, but it's not a well known actor but yeah it's it's probably hard to come back from that or depending on if it's a if it's just a secondary character to the story of whatever the movie or show is portraying. Because in The Man of the High Castle, Hitler is present, but he isn't, like, he is very much an off-screen character. Yeah. He is physically depicted in the show, but like, I don't think he ever speaks. Yeah, he dies. It's a, Man of the High Castle is an alternative reality show in which Germany and Japan won World War Two. So the United States is occupied in the East Coast by Germany and on the West Coast by Japan. And then there's this zone in the middle of neutrality. Where We're the Rockies, essentially. Yeah, essentially just sort of the yeah middle of the country. And it's, it is fascinating as a show and as a concept. And so Hitler did not commit suicide, but he ages into the 50s and in the show... I believe Hitler dies of natural causes and then they have to choose like a successor. So yeah, and then I'm pretty sure in Inglorious Bastards Hitler again is present but isn't isn't a huge character. Like yeah. basically the the Christoph Waltz character kind of stands in for Hitler, I think in in that instance. There is there's a movie, and I'm not sure what it is, but there is another meme out there of it's it's Hitler talking to a group of people, and they always edit it to, like, uh, where he Hitler ends up yelling at a whole room of people because he got bad news. And so they edit it as, like, I don't know, Hitler says something along the lines of, oh, event, well, at least we still have event A. And there's a an advisor that has to tell him that, no, we don't have event A. And then Hitler yells at everybody because of this news. And so they edit it. Anyway, Don't if, if you've seen it, you know what I'm talking about. But so Hitler is a person, like so, an actor, takes on the role of Hitler and is a major role in that, in that instance, in whatever movie this is. It seems more like, for instance, in Schindler's List, Hitler and Nazi Germany is just sort of a looming presence rather than shown on screen. And before we get off this topic, I will say definitely check out Jojo Rabbit. I'm not a big Scarlett Johansson fan personally, but it is a good movie. I don't want to say super cute is not at all how to describe a movie about Nazi Germany. The children are cute. They handle it to where the Nazis are still clearly bad people, but they make them look like bumbling idiots. Yes, exactly, exactly. And so I, I have to imagine that in, you know, the next 10 years or whatever, when we are making, we're separated enough from the war in Afghanistan and we're making movies about Osama bin Laden or involving Osama bin Laden, I don't like I've never seen I don't know Zero Dark Thirty Zero Dark Thirty or uh the one there is one about SEAL Team Six 
and where you know the people that went in and actually killed bin laden i've never seen any of those movies so i don't know if there is a physical depiction of bin laden and he is like a, a main an actual speaking character but i have to imagine like the same thing is going to happen with bin laden of hey we want you to play bin laden how do you feel about that yeah i think it's tough sometimes to do it even now because if you want you know military looking things you have to get the military in and then they have to like okay the script and so then it's very pro all that stuff and then i have to imagine there'll be another wrinkle to that because i'm sure there are swaths of minority actors who are trying to not play stereotypical minority parts and so if you're an actor that gets a call and is like, hey, we want you to play Bin Laden, and like, well, I'm trying to not play Arab characters. Right. So anyway, uh, back to the episode. That was a long tangent. So yes, Michael is being a jerk, and that will kind of set the tone for the rest of this episode. And this is kind of something that is surprising given the circumstances of where we are at in the storyline. So if you think back to a month ago to our last episode, we were talking about what is going on and it is revealed that Donna is not cheating on Michael, but cheating with Michael. And so that is where we left off last time. And so this has been revealed to the office at large. And so we have Pam and Aaron kind of setting up things to cheer Michael up under the assumption that he is going to come into work that day just in a bad mood. And Pam says that when that happens, things don't get done around the office. Yeah, you can sort of think back to after Michael's breakup with Jan and even Holly. So more so with Jan in season three where he's basically forcing everyone to set him up with people and just preventing work from happening. Not that that's the only time that Michael prevents work from happening, but it is a pretty big one. So Pam's trying to head this off. They have ice cream, Eagle, the Eagles, the band themed ice cream they have uh, movies playing in the conference room and sign-up sheets in which people can sign up for half-hour shifts to watch with Michael, which how that's allowing work to be done. I guess that one person is just not working for 30 minutes. Yes, that is the irony here, of course, is that in order to prevent Michael keeping the office from working, they are setting up times f- so people don't work in order to occupy Michael. Yeah. Pam also instructs everyone to keep conversation light, don't let him wallow, make random sound effects if necessary. However, when Michael walks in, he's in a very happy mood. He doesn't take the ice cream, doesn't need it. He's like, oh, that's nice. Too much for me right now. He doesn't react to the flattery from Dwight besides just being, oh, okay. I think he's a little thrown off by all the attention. Pam is very disconcerted about about what's happening like why isn't Michael wallowing why isn't he upset to the point where she says to Jim no we have to do this we have to do it what she does is she invites Michael 
to come over to their house that evening for dinner to play with the baby and to eat dinner with them. Both her and Jim are way too tired to even entertain the notion, but Pam throws it out there. Michael declines, and that's when Pam's just like, oh my God, Michael Scott, are you still sleeping with Donna? And Michael, you know, can't resist and loves just talking about his personal life. Well, he doesn't deny it. He doesn't, he doesn't confer or deny. He's just like, he just kind of his makes response, a vague answer. His response is, when have we ever gotten into the personal lives of each other in this office? Which gives it away, you know, right there. Everyone is pretty disgusted with Michael, especially Andy, who himself was in that situation with Dwight and Angela. Interestingly enough, Dwight and Angela really aren't involved in the sort of shaming of Michael in this episode. Yeah, and so you also see Michael trying to justify his actions in here and and saying, okay, well, what is this guy doing that makes Donna want to cheat on him? You know, he's he's a high school baseball coach, so he wakes up in the morning and that's all he thinks about is baseball and he is neglectful to Donna. And so, yeah, Michael is trying to talk himself up into, you know, he's the good guy in this situation. He's the one that is providing for the needs that Donna is not getting in her marriage. I would say that Michael is doing something wrong here, but the ultimate definite fault lies with Donna. Correct. Yes. And so even though Michael is right in his own mind, he still is trying to avoid the fact that this is in fact not right. And it is Andy that comes up to him and is just like, hey, you know, this isn't great. Like, think about this other guy. What, how do you think he would feel if he knew his wife was cheating on him? And Michael's like, basically is like that's not my problem and Andy encourages Michael to like meet this guy you know maybe he's a really nice guy and that would kind of dissuade Michael from continuing this relationship with Donna and even though Michael is resistant Andy does win here and Andy and Michael go off to watch a baseball game coached by this man This is another instance where time makes no sense in the office and they don't even attempt to try to make it make sense. So it appears, based on the different storylines that are happening, that this is literally the middle of the day. It could still be the morning of a work day and somehow there's a high school baseball game happening on a weekday at 10 a.m., And so there is. That's when Scranton High School plays baseball, apparently. So Michael and Andy go. Andy is a huge weirdo. He says he never played uh, baseball in high school, but he did play a bat boy in a theater production. And he keeps, like, cheering very loudly. At one point, he goes up and has a conversation with Coach Shane through the fence. And is just incredibly awkward and just says, you know, we're just big fans keeps pointing out Michael and brings up marriage and says that he can't really watch the game unless he knows that the coach really loves his wife. Coach Shane is pretty genial in like dealing with this nonsense. 
before Andy ends the interaction, he does make Michael come over and shake his hand. Then Michael does a one-on-one with the camera and he says, you know, my heart is still racing. I was sweating. I looked this man in the eye and I shook his hand. And the whole time I was thinking, I'm sleeping with your wife. And you know who does that? James Bond. So Michael compares himself to James Bond, has no shame, you know, is is basically elated by this interaction. Yeah, it really kind of emboldens Michael instead of making him feel bad. It kind of, I don't know, gives him this rush of adrenaline of just yeah. like, you know what? Yeah, this is great. And so Michael and Andy return to the office and Michael has a big bag of orange slices in his hand and is just passing them out to the office and it, you know he makes it clear that he stole them from the team and when somebody brings this up he's like well that's not the only thing I stole from coach Shane and people aren't very happy about that either and so at this point people are over it yeah I would I would agree with that at as Stanley says like we've said what we're gonna say and we're not gonna change your mind so we're done a lot of people, like, for example, Phyllis won't look Michael in the eye. Like, she's just so disgusted. And as Curtis noted, Michael's emboldened. He just says, I am going to take whatever I want now. I'm hungry for cake. I'm going to go eat cake. And he goes to the refrigerator. There's a cake for Meredith's birthday in there. And he just takes a big chunk out of it and says, I just take whatever I want now. However... As the day goes on and people continue to express their displeasure, it really eats at Michael. He says, I'm going to go meet Donna at a motel and no one can stop me. And that's where Stanley's like, just do it, leave it alone, whatever. Now, Stanley has his own affairs, as we've seen before. However, as Michael's driving to the motel to meet Donna, he has a change of heart. He drives back to the office, which, side note again, what is time? Like, is Michael just leaving in the middle of the workday to meet Donna? Could be his lunch. Who knows? And he texts her, breaking it off with Donna, and then he goes back into the break room, goes to the freezer, and gets some of the ice cream that Pam had gotten earlier. I think that this is a pretty well-written episode, in, in terms of this plot line, because as we have said multiple times on this podcast, Michael's like main character trait is that he needs everybody to like him. Yeah. And so the thing that kind of changed his mind is the fact that him doing this all of a sudden made people not like him. This is so shame is a double edged sword in society. Shame and guilt. Most of the time, I'd say 70% of the time, it operates in a way to sort of paralyze people because they're shamed for things that are perfectly normal and valid. I'm just thinking of like sex shaming, for instance, just making people feel bad for, for just wanting to have sex, you know, particularly like adolescents. However, in this instance, it's actually operating maybe as it should. It's preventing Michael from continuing this relationship, which is not, it, let's be honest, like, yes, he likes Donna, but he's only looking at it in the short term. It's, it's not going anywhere. It can't go anywhere. 
it's rare that someone who is having an affair who is married is going to break off that marriage is going to leave that marriage for their affair partner so michael might be having fun with donna in the short term but it's not like it can be a serious relationship it's not like donna you know it's unlikely donna's looking for children like michael is it's unlikely that she is going to celebrate holidays with michael she's probably celebrating holidays with her husband when you're the other person, there are limits to that relationship. Another relationship that we see on the rocks, well, kind of just staying on the rocks, really, is the one between Dwight and Angela. In previous episodes, we have seen that Dwight and Angela have a sex contract <laughs> in which they need to uh, sire a child. And Dwight, after meeting up with Isabel at the Dave and Buster's-esque place, is kind of rethinking the terms of this contract. And so he is looking for a way out of this. Angela, however, is steadfast in trying to make Dwight honor this contract. And it's interesting because the entire contract was Dwight's idea. Yeah. And so now they have brought in a mediator in order to iron out the details of this contract, mostly to see if this is a valid contract whatsoever. There's a lot of odd provisions in the whole thing. For instance, Dwight mandated that Angela do like a beet juice cleanse to, I don't know, make her body healthy to (laughs) gestate his possible child. There is a really funny... <laughs> There's a really funny Dwight line as they as Dwight and Angela are sitting with a one-on-one with the camera, kind of bantering back and forth. Dwight says <laughs> he he goes to to basically jab Angela in the throat but stops and he's like, I don't even have to make contact, the law will do it. And for ever, like until I left my college town to go to law school my friend continued to do that just all the time and would just jab at people's throats and and say that line he's a lawyer now shockingly i only say shockingly because he came to that like very late uh in life he was like on a track to be in finance anyways the mediator says that this is a valid contract And now he can't actually enforce it. And that's what happens in a contract dispute. That's what happens. You can't go back to enforce the contract. There's only the issue of what is the remedy. Most likely it's damages and damages come in the form of money. So the mediator says the damages come to about $30,000. So Dwight, for breaking the contract with Angela, would owe her $30,000. Angela decides... I don't want your money. Here's an alternative instead. And she presents him with this other document and says, I want to have intercourse with you five times to completion. And that will, you know, that's the end of this. Now, how that's not just the contract. I mean, I guess because it's only five times and not. Until a child is. Yeah. And Dwight's like, well, okay, fine. Agreed. And Dwight says that that's a pretty good stud fee. (laughs) 
And so the remainder of the episode, we see Dwight basically trying to keep himself from producing fertile sperm. Uh, we see him microwaving like a, a mug of coffee and then just putting his crotch like right next to the microwave. We see him drumming on his crotchular area. Uh, we see him drop a phone book on his testicles and we see him riding a bike and like hopping up and down on the the bike seat and then he crashes and again racks himself (laughs) and so later in the episode dwight and angela go to meet in their usual place in the warehouse and we can hear angela be like what did you do yeah he must have bruised or have swollen testicles this storyline will continue on actually kind of to the end of the series. Yes. And the reason that we see Dwight and Angela go into the warehouse is because this is kind of a brief overlap with what is going on with Jim and Pam. Jim and Pam are living parent life, and with that comes extreme exhaustion. Apparently, CC had a rough night the night before, whether that be because doing baby stuff or in a sleep regression we don't know but pam says that she was up all night with cc and so her and jim are very tired to the point to that they both fall asleep at their desk gabe calls them over to his desk and gives them a one sentence dressing down about you know how falling asleep makes everyone look bad and Gabe says, okay, we got that out of the way. Then wants to talk to them about this decision tree email that he sent out to everyone about the printer fires. Gabe is not interesting. And so that prompts Jim and Pam to both get really heavy eyes and really nod off. Which you've, if you've ever been exhausted and in like a really boring meeting, oh my God, it's very, very difficult to stay awake. They are at the vending machines where Jim says to Pam, like, why don't you just get an energy drink? And Pam says, I can't. If I drink an energy drink or caffeine, it gets in the breast milk, and then Cece drinks it later, which is very true. Like, Pam can't really do a whole lot. Now Jim says, well, that's not stopping me from getting an energy drink. It's not, but he probably shouldn't have said that. There's just not a whole lot you can do, and clearly Pam like Pam has returned to work there's no time for her to sort of nap like when the baby's napping which let's talk about that real quick anyways everyone's like oh you just nap when the baby's napping I'm like oh should I cook dinner when Owen's cooking dinner too is that how that works like should I make sure his bottles are washed and sanitized when he's washing and sanitizing my bottles like there's yeah some stuff can get left undone but some stuff can't like Owen when he was a newborn and would sometimes take longer naps he also uh often had diaper blowouts like in his car seat and so that was the time where I had to wash that because we needed the car seat like there's just not enough hours in the day sometimes and they just don't sleep long enough sometimes for you to also get enough sleep 
Owen also just was not a fan of being worn. I know that's like the yeah. the go-to remedy for like, oh, you can just wear the baby and wash the dishes or whatever. But he did not take to that uh, at all for quite a while. Yeah, he when he was a newborn, and the way you wear them as a newborn is like, almost like a kangaroo situation like he didn't like having his face covered he didn't like not being he wants to see and be seen be up and until recently like he'll do it now just fine because he can be facing out he has total neck control and he can turn whenever he wants to he can look whatever he wants and he was also really long so he didn't really fit in the smallest carry position and didn't like being I thought he'd like being he likes to be snuggled and he likes being swaddled but he just did not like being able to move not be able to move around so Daryl offers Jim and Pam this napping spot that exists in the warehouse yeah he says that you know a lot of the guys down there work multiple jobs so they're very tired so the they created this space to just go nap it's like up in like the third shelf of where they keep the paper daryl says that there's a light burnt out so it's dark and the backup generator is right there so it's nice and warm and so it's just a very relaxing place to go sleep and so when jim and pam are up there this is when dwight and angela go into their usual spot and are arguing about having sex and then we assume go on to have sex and so not an ideal situation for jim and pam to try and just catch a quick nap so that pretty much wraps up this episode let's go to the annex with antoinette and find out any fun facts about the episode this wasn't a very well received episode i would say and i can understand why michael he takes on these personality shifts sometimes and Maybe it depends which writer takes on a certain episode or, you know, what they feel. But sometimes there's not great continuity of Michael. (laughs) And that was kind of the chief complaint that they really took that to the extreme. And then the Dwight-Angela mediation was also sort of to the extreme. This does wrap up a romantic storyline for Michael. So he's back on the market again. And as he walks out, a news crew is waiting for him and want him to comment on the allegations. So he thinks somehow the news of his affair with a not famous individual, you know, with someone that's just a member of the Scranton community is newsworthy and says that he's ashamed and, you know, he'll never listen to his bodily intuition again. But the the newswoman says, no, I'm talking about the Saber printer fires. And Michael's like, oh, okay, I don't know anything about that. So it's interesting, like, Gabe says he sent this email. Andy did that experiment with Daryl at the end of the last episode, but somehow Michael and, I guess, greater corporate haven't been looped into this printer fire issue. And so this that, you know, cold close is really setting up next episode. Curtis, who got fired this episode? We are going to lose Ryan because when Michael goes into the kitchen area and on his just, I'm going to take what I want trip, and he goes in and he grabs a handful of the cake and eats it, Kelly and Ryan are in there, and Kelly's just like, you can't do that. That's Meredith's cake. 
Michael's like, eh, I don't care. I'm, I, this is what I want to do. I'm going to do it. And Ryan's equally emboldened by this. Is like, good for you. And then he gets inspired to go up to Aaron and say, hey, I think you're kind of attractive. I want to sleep with you. And Aaron goes, what about Kelly? And Ryan says, you read my mind. And so that's way across the line of sexual harassment or inappropriate sexual uh, comments. So Ryan gets fired for that. It is his second firing this season. It's his seventh overall. Ryan is so scummy. Yeah. As for Jim and Pam uh, and their sleeping on the job, I think the what happened is the appropriate approach for this. Yeah, in this case, probably getting warned. Like, it's not good. It's still time wasting. It, I, I don't want to say it happens. It doesn't. It doesn't. It's just one of those situations where people probably like go take a nap in their car over lunch. Yeah, I think in the context, it's just like, hey, I, I get it. Like, you guys probably pretty tired. Let's just, you know, not have it happen again. What is your Dundee for this episode, Antoinette? My Dundee is most quotable. It goes to Michael for saying, I am Beyonce always. And the context of that is Andy is really trying to just express to Michael how awful it is to be the person who's the cuckold. And that happened to Andy because Dwight was sleeping with Angela I should say because Angela was sleeping with Dwight. Let's put the onus on the person in the relationship. So Donna is making her husband the cuckold by sleeping with Michael. But Michael is not bothered by that. And so Andy's just using whatever example he can to make Michael see reason. And he talks about the movie Obsessed. Yeah. I was going to say betrayed, but I think obsessed is correct. Where I think Allie Larder and Idris Elba are cheating and Idris Elba is with Beyonce in that movie. Andy says that he would be Beyonce and Michael would be Allie Larder, but Michael's not having it. He says he is Beyonce always. Curtis, what is your Dundee? The Listen to the Man award goes to Jim because as we talked about earlier, and Pam is very obsessed with like making sure Michael is okay and that the this this relationship with Donna is going the way that she thinks it should. And Jim is just like, no, we don't have to do any of this. Yeah, I don't know why Pam is insistent. Yes. And then of course Pam steamrolls through and says would you do you want to come over to our house for dinner knowing full well that this isn't a thing that either Jim or Pam want to happen being tired because of CC aside like they don't want to hang out with Michael ever yeah they they have gone out of their way multiple times throughout the series to duck dinner invitations from Michael yes and so this is just another case of Pam kind of meddling in something that she just needs to stay out of. Yeah, especially just in early parenthood. Like, this is something she should just let go. Who is your employee of the month? 
slim pickings, but I chose Angela just because she won her contract dispute with Dwight. <laughs> Who is yours? I chose the other side of that. I chose Dwight, not because of anything that happens in the storyline, but that he just has a good episode here. He has some funny lines and and just is in, in funny situations throughout the episode. Sure. So that pretty much does it for this week's episode. Please be sure to follow us on Twitter at DownsizingPod to get all the latest updates. And be sure to keep listening to us on Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you're listening to us. Be sure to rate, subscribe, like, and comment wherever you can in order to keep getting our name out there. We appreciate you guys listening, and we will see you guys next time, hopefully not in like a month. Bye. Bye.